Hello and welcome to the Cane and Rinse podcast. This is Volume 8, Issue 352, Virginia. You can play along with the show, the next five of which are Gravity Rush 2, Hitman 2016, it's just called Hitman, um, <laughs> then Street Fighter 4 series, that's going to include Super, Arcade Edition, Arcade Edition 2000, 2012 Ultra and also Omega Mode as well. Uh, and then Near Automata. And the last of the next five shows will be continuing our Final Fantasy series. This one is Final Fantasy VIII, the first of Volume Eight. Uh, you can find the schedule beyond that at caneandrince.com. You can also there find, with blog posts, uh, you can find a link to our forum, which would be great if you would drop in and uh, discuss some of these games. It's a great way to get your thoughts on the show. Um, you can get this show a week earlier than non-subscribers. Well, you can't now, but you could have if you were a subscriber. Uh, at patreon.com forward slash Uh that's just $1. Gets you, uh, gets you, as I say, the show's a week earlier and in a more unedited form. You tend to get some extra content on those that has to be clipped to make our two-hour uh, non-subscriber edition. Uh, that one dollar is currently seventy nine pence or eighty eight euro cents. Uh, it won't and be by the time month. they're listening to this. It won't be. It will have changed by the time <laughs> you listen to this. <laughs> um, if you don't want to get involved in Patreon, uh, we also accept uh, PayPal donations uh, if you're feeling generous. But of course, the the main Cairn show is free. This is just for those people who feel that the hours we put into prep and to talking about so many different games are. Uh, are kind of worth just kicking a few uh, a few pennies our way, which is always greatly appreciated. Uh, in addition to Cane and Rinse, I should say we have on Wednesdays Sound of Play, uh, celebration of video game music. That's every week with Leon and Ryan uh, generally as the hosts. And now on Fridays as well, this is the first time since I've been hosting this that I've had the pleasure of announcing that Chris O'Regan's The Sausage Factory podcasts, where he inter- interviews... Um, different indie game developers, generally indie game developers, but developers of all shapes and sizes, really, uh, and sort of digs into what makes them tick and what makes their games tick as well, obviously, importantly. Um, so, yeah, three podcasts a week at least. Um, you can, if you're looking to kind of support us as well, uh, subscribe, review, rate us wherever it is you get your podcasts. I think we're on pretty much everywhere. Jay does a great job of making sure that that happens. Uh, you can also follow us on Facebook. We are on Instagram and mostly, I think, generally, Twitter is the place that people kind of interact with, at Kane and Rinse. Um, okay, let's get on to our crew for, for this episode. Uh, joining me, I'm James Carter. In issue 352 are Jacob Geller. Hello there. Uh, you heard him a second ago, John Salmon. Hi. And also rounding out the crew, Carl Moon. Hey, everyone. Um, let's get straight into our histories, I guess, just to kind of... Uh, it's a bit of a different order, but it just gives you an idea of where we're coming from with regards to this game, Virginia. So um, my history is I played this game three times back-to-back to back last weekend. Um, it's a game I've had my eye on for a while, but just as often happens, Kane and Rince gave me the impetus to to get it played and play it I did. Um, that that pretty much says what I've got to say about coming to this game. Uh, I played it on <laughs> Xbox One, I suppose is, is worth mentioning. Um, uh, Jacob, how about you? 
Uh, I first heard about this uh, from mm. JV Gwaltney at Game Informer. He's he's on their their indie beat a lot, and um, and he had good things to say. But I didn't play it until uh, I guess a year later. Um, it was on sale. This game is frequently on sale for like a dollar yes. or yeah, two dollars. Yeah. Um, and so I got it on one of those sales and played it through and quite enjoyed it. And I have also written a blog piece about it for Kane and Rince. And so if you keep up with the written side of the site, you might have seen that about a year ago. Um, but yeah, that's that's basically my history. It hasn't had a, a large impact on <laughs> my gaming career thus far. Excellent. Thank you very much. Uh, I should say that I think probably, I certainly heard talk about it when it came out, but one of the places I would like to mention is uh, Gamers With Jobs talked about it quite a bit at release um, and and certainly kind of piqued my interest more than it even had been. Um, okay, John, how about yourself? Oof, I can't remember why or how I initially heard about this, but um, I believe it came out in late September 2016, and I played yeah. it about six weeks later at the mm. beginning of December. I say I can't remember where I heard about it, but quite likely from something on YouTube recommendations or along those lines, possibly something like Jim Sterling, because I vaguely remember him doing a video about it, but yeah. it's yeah, quite a while back. Um, I think I played through it two or three times then over the space of a few days. Yeah, Thought about it a hell of a lot since and played it again yesterday or the day before to refresh my memory hmm. and last of all carl well interestingly in mm. the case of john i actually do remember where he heard about it from um <laughs> in 2016 uh john works with tony for anyone who doesn't Aye. know and in 2016 i was down quite a lot working with tony as well um so there would be the three of us um on jobs or between jobs and we'd be talking about games because it's just that's just what we talk about (laughs) amazingly enough we don't just do it on the podcast and uh virginia was actually starting to pick up quite a bit of hype there'd been some critics that were actually quite they'd been really positive about the game really quite a lot of superlatives um talk about it being david lynch-esque you know uh twin peaks style and it sort of captured our interest a bit, you know. It was it was intriguing. Um, I was down in Kent working at the time, and I game share with Tony, so it's something that you know we we'd both have access to. Uh, I actually recommended the game to my dad. Um, when the reviews started coming out, uh, mm. he bought it immediately, as so many recommendations do. Uh, two days later, he messaged me back, um, told me that I'd been the cause of him wasting his money and that he'd hated the game. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, so I thought that that was a that was a great start to it. But in that time, uh, Tony and myself had also picked up the game, um, but I didn't actually get to go through it straight away. So I actually approached it months later. There was very little talk about it in the media at this time. You know, it's kind of one of the reasons we do the podcast the way that we do it. I thought it was the it, I had a nice weekend spare, and I just I can't remember what the particular sort of reason that I went and played the game at that moment in time was, other than the fact that I knew it was short, I was probably between games, and I just picked it up and played it. One one night, it is a short game. Um, enjoyed it a little bit more than my dad, I think it's safe to say, mm-hmm. but yeah. But yeah, it, it was just something that had, you know, the praise in the media at the time when it was when it was launched, and it, it sort of 
accentuated that discussion between um, myself and Tony and John. Yeah, as as you start to say this, I do remember actually about it, uh, and I vaguely remember there must have been a demo that came out yeah. beforehand because yeah. I remember seeing a like a breakdown of the demo from yeah. it was somewhere like video game or TV or something like that, and yeah, it must have must have piqued my interest partly because in the previous few months before this, I'd also gotten quite into a handful of other air quotes walking simulators. And just looking now at some of my uh, Xbox metadata, I played this essentially immediately after I'd finished playing Firewatch. Yeah, so I yeah. guess I was I was right in this uh, this groove at that time. I'd previously played Gone Home, and um, everybody's gone to the Rapture fairly soon within the few months leading up. So I must have been on a real kick of uh, narrative games. Uh, yeah, we're certainly going to uh, dig into that in a in a little bit, um, and we'll need to do a bit of talking about what exactly Virginia is because I think it does uh, kind of uh, bear some explanation. Uh, but for now, let's get into the the who is behind Virginia. Um, the developers listed as Variable State, which is actually a, a distributed company of uh, three individuals who came together to to make this game. They are Jonathan Jonathan Burrows, Terry Kenny and uh composer Lyndon Holland who all wrote the game as well together um and and they actually came together to make this uh and and still are a going concern although this remains uh the game that they have released um as mentioned directors of the game Jonathan Burrows and Terry Kenny who uh live separate from one another but apparently the studios kind of run variable state that is are kind of run uh through uh, during development by having morning skype calls to kind of work out and divide up what the day's uh tasks are going to be and and then three of them working from home to to kind of get that done which is obviously a very uh well not very but a fairly modern way of working you know a different way of working um which is quite cool uh producer carlos aguilar I presume from 505 Games. Programming done by Kieran Keegan. Uh, quite a lot of artists on this game. Uh, that won't surprise anyone who has played it, I don't think. Uh, but we'll talk about that in a sec. So Terry Kenny, one of the directors, uh, is one of the artists in the game. Mikhail Person, um, Abby Roebuck, Steve James Brown, Matt Wilde, and Stephen Brown. Um, three writers, as mentioned, are the three founding members of Variable State. That's Jonathan Burrows, Terry Kenny, and Lyndon Holland. The last of which, Lyndon Holland, is also the composer and sound designer on this game. And I think we're going to sort of tuck into um, his work in particular uh, in a little bit. Uh, the score was actually performed by the City of Prague Philharmonic Orchestra. Um, just worth noting because obviously orchestration can be a big part of video mm -hmm. games, but on a small game like this, it's not necessarily all that common to have... Mm a whole orchestra behind it you know oh. i think it was john mentioned apologies if it wasn't this was released on pc ps4 and xbox one on the 22nd of september 2016 in terms of the reception uh game rankings have it listed as between 75 and 77 percent there's been quite a bit of critical discussion of Virginia. And one in particular that kind of struck me was on geek.com by Daniel Starkey back in October. So a few weeks after it was released, a couple of weeks after it was released, somewhere around there, which was to do with the the value of games and how shorter, simpler, more narrative-driven walking simulators, if you like, weren't necessarily valued 
as highly as something that was more mechanically complex um and to do with sort of steam sales being the primary way that people pick up a lot of games uh and and games in bulk alongside say humble bundles and that kind of thing and they they uh are are bought up at very low prices and that then attaches possibly lesser value in the eyes of consumers to them you also see people uh, frequently online will will talk about how they they think that it's it's worth the money because of how long it is or it's not worth the oh, money sure. because of how long it is the including dollars per hour yeah absolutely yeah exactly and so so if you're viewing this game only from a dollars per hour perspective yeah. it does not fare very well because it's a very short game and and i think we would all agree that that's a pretty reductive way of looking at games but yeah. especially on the kind of unregulated steam forums that is that is a a a frequent complaint yeah 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 for sure so we've already mentioned some of these influences um the immediate one that i thought of uh were a couple of brendan chung games uh gravity bone was actually the first one and then 30 flights of loving importantly i guess um was a game that was a Kickstarter bonus for the return of the Idle Thumbs podcast, which is just a, a weird thing that I <laughs> remember very, <laughs> very well. Yeah. Um, and it was uh, 30 Fights of Loving was scored by Chris Remo, who also did the score for Firewatch and is part of Campo Santo now. So um, I, would, I do want to come back to Firewatch, as mentioned previously, and talk a bit about that. But uh, the reason that these two games in particular struck me is they are very much. Um, narrative games that are light on mechanics uh but also are told as a series of vignettes that seem connected but it's not always obvious how they're connected and that very much speaks to my initial impression of virginia as well um i don't know have I, any of you guys played uh, either of those games yes Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, thirty flights of loving is actually uh, referenced in the credits he says it is, yeah, uh, in, yeah, inspired yeah, by yeah and i think um it's it would be hard to to describe their similarities before playing both of them, maybe, but especially yeah. the way that they kind of cut between scenes in a way that's much more uh, filmic than than game language usually. Yeah, is very they're very reminiscent of each other. Yeah, kind of the opposite of God of War's sort of vaunted single shot uh, game. This is mm-hmm. going incredibly the opposite direction. They they yeah. do, they kind of want you on edge between scenes to not know where you're going next and also to not know precisely how one scene relates to the next. When I went through those two games, um, I did them both in sort of the the same evening. I went into them a little bit blind. Um, Mm. A a lot, again, quite similar to Virginia, other than the, you know, the the praise from several critics of which, you know, I I do actually heed what they say. Um, There aren't many. That were praised in Virginia. Other than seeing that praise, I again went into Virginia blind. So it was kind of interesting, um, especially in the case of Thirty Flights of Loving mm. uh, and Gravity Bone, because they narratively they could be seen as being a little bit all over the place at times, mm. um, but in a kind of enjoyable way. That if I let it wash over me, I did it. I did actually really appreciate the experience. I ended up going through them both again because. They are very short games. Mm. Um, yeah, thoroughly enjoyable, very memorable art style. Um, 
quirky at times, mm-hmm. a bit off the wall. Um, and I think it's fair to say that you could make all those same comments about Virginia and, you know, it would probably stand true as well. Um, de- definitely you can see the influence. Yeah, yeah. In terms of other influences, uh, worn very much on its sleeve and already mentioned here amongst ourselves, uh, David Lynch as an influence. Uh, Twin Peaks is the one that tends to get referenced more. Um, So I just wondered if we could talk what it is about this game that kind of suggested Twin Peaks was a strong touchstone for it. Well, it's, it's it's very small town weird which Mm. is an important kind of thematic thing in Twin Peaks. Um, And especially all the focus on um, just kind of on nature, you know, that that almost everything is kind of like covered by this forest and you've got kind of beautiful vistas combined with kind of uh, very nasty human behavior um, is is just kind of a frequent, you know, it's it's maybe not plot wise but even nailing down the plot of twin peaks is incredibly difficult um and then also i think we'll we'll get onto this when we talk more about the music mm-hmm. but especially in um maybe the game's most famous track in the um in the kind of nightclub or bar yeah the, it sounds exactly like the twin <laughs> peaks theme like like the music is is so close to it that yeah. um yeah. it's it is absolutely an homage because if it wasn't an homage, it would be plagiarism. You know? <laughs> it's yeah. very close. Yeah, I think anything that gets described as being David Lynch-esque or Twin Peaks-esque, anything like that, um, it generally, as Jacob said, it revolves around the environment that it seems to be set up in, that mm. the actual environment is the biggest character of all and everything just plays off of that character so um with twin peaks with um alan wake as a a, a example of something that followed it Hmm. deadly premonition probably the most obvious example silent hill anything where that city or town uh which is far more likely plays such a big part um kind of does leave that 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 feeling of of this being the biggest influence and virginia i mean let's be honest the game's named after a place so um it's already relevant there and you do see it. It's, you know, Jacob mentioned, you see that nature, you go and see these vistas and um, yeah, it's fascinating that the uh, it's set up to play off the environment as maybe the biggest character in the whole thing. And then it also has the very Twin Peaks vibe of not being quite sure what's real and what yeah. might be imagined or a dream or are things being told out of order? Sure. Like what information are we being given? Yeah, absolutely. Mm, yeah. That's an incredibly Twin Peaksy aspect mm. of it. The X-Files, another uh, touchstone. Um, when I, The first time I played through the game, I have to say the X-Files as a touchstone to me seemed more because of how other stuff we've mentioned, particularly David Lynch, kind of reflected onto the X-Files. Um, aside mm-hmm. f- aside yeah, from right. an obvious sci-fi scene towards the end, that I think it could be argued there's very little in this game that's actually sci-fi. But, of course, The X-Files was never necessarily about the sci-fi so much as about people being caught in the unknown. Uh, and yeah. that very much mm. is, uh, yeah. as with The Third Man, it's putting the characters in a position where they are just not sure what's happening. It's a reference that I was aware of before I started playing. Um, now, 
I'm a huge X Files fan. It's my favorite TV show. Mm. And as I was going through it, I was my feeling was that I didn't really understand the touch point. It was short of being the FBI uh, sure. involving yeah. partners at the FBI and going around environments like Virginia. Um, it didn't seem to be there hmm. other than towards the end a of the big game. Thing, though. Like there's there are numerous episodes of the X Files where it's like the the two FBI agents go to a weird small town where everybody's yeah. being a bit creepy and a bit secretive and something more is going on that they don't know about, and that's that's the entirety of this game. Yeah, I think I understood the comparison more towards Twin Peaks regarding the unsettling small town yeah. style rather than the X Files, which um, did generally. Uh, revolve around the paranormal um mm. and that's something you don't really get until later on in in the game and at that point it felt like oh right okay well that just seems like a, a lazy reference point because it's only something that becomes relevant at the end of the game and not actually as an overarching influence if you will um i mean i can kind of get the loose touch point i just believe that um it's not as strong as some of the other references yeah. Well, we do have the um you know the the agent in the basement office kind of secluded yeah, from everyone else yeah. that yeah. that like it's clear that her superiors kind of have doubts about her methods and stuff. Yeah. You know, it's not it is it is absolutely not as direct, but I think just kind of like seeing how the the lower agents are treated by their superiors mm. is is a little more you know, more than the just kind of obvious supernatural elements. And correct me if I'm wrong, but the it, I've I've not seen all of the X-Files, and it's certainly been a good long while since I saw any episodes of the X-Files, but the setup in, in the, the start of that is Fox Mulder is the, the, the agent who's held at arm's length in the basement, essentially, yeah. uh, not wanted to be... A, like, the, the, the higher-ups don't want him associated with the FBI at all. And essentially, then yeah. He's been yeah. given these another sort of agent, cases. Yeah, another agent is assigned to basically try and discredit him. It's uh, essentially, yeah, to keep and, an eye yeah, on him, and, try an eye and, on him. And, you know, and, and try and build a case against it, what what he's looking at, what he's doing, and what he's saying. As the skeptic, um, who in this case, Anne Tarver, is is that agent. Although I think it's not supposed to be that she's a skeptic so much as she's just been told, look, dig up dirt on this person, we want them out. Uh, but, you know, we, we will get to that. But yeah, I definitely saw it from that point of view as the relationship between the two agents and how that grows and develops through the game. Um but yeah, it was definitely a, a lesser um, uh, influence to me. Uh, yeah, and obviously the game not having any dialogue is much more difficult to get across exactly yeah. what's supposed to be going on. Sure. So you're never really 100% sure why um, it's Anne is the, the younger one and uh, Maria is the older one, yeah. Yeah. Uh, why she's being sent in to keep tabs on her and what exactly you know they make. Uh, leverage they might have against Anne as yeah, well. Yeah. It's all very sort of open to interpretation. Whereas if it's you know in the X Files or Twin Peaks, for the most part, it's said this is what's going on. Here's the setup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fair. Um, Obviously, that makes it more difficult to sure you know draw these comparisons. And, and it, between it also them. means that some people are going to see stronger influence from 
say something like the X Files than than other people will. So, sure. so yeah, depending upon how you uh, your perspective and how you inflect on what you're seeing, I suppose. Um, so the last influence that I've put down, although obviously you guys are free to mention others if you would like, um, and I'm putting this as more of a visual reference point, although I do think there's similarities in the style of game and the style of story they want to tell, and there's certainly stuff to do with government conspiracy and that kind of thing that, that does mm-hmm. share. Uh, obviously don't want to go into too many Firewatch spoilers outside of a Firewatch podcast, but uh, is Campo Santos Firewatch. Um, as I said, if you'd asked me, I'd have said Firewatch came after this. Um, and knowing that uh, the Idle Thumbs guys who ended up mostly becoming part of Camposanto, not all of them, but some of the core members of that podcast, knowing that they share a history or a lineage back to Brendan Chung's games, it does kind of make sense that both of these actually split off from, say, 30 Flights of Loving directly as a as a visual reference point, as a method of storytelling. Um, and so it makes sense that they'd share. So I, I certainly don't want to suggest that this game took its visual style from Firewatch or anything because the the release dates are way too close for that to have been yeah. the case at all you know eight, eight months ma- uh, most kind of apart yeah. as a as, as sort of a graphical reference the game that Virginia reminded me most of was Interstate 76 from 1997 so mm-hmm. that has for me a far more similar graphic representation mm. um to what Virginia is than than what Firewatch is. I mean, sure. I do undoubtedly see Firewatch as a similar title. I mean, John mm. mentioned it perfectly at the start. We were going through a really strong period in terms of these um, na- uh, story-driven games via, you know, walking and exploring the environment. Um, and purely based on time that, the, you know, potentially the influences were similar um i certainly feel like they play a very different game but in terms of mm. actually a visual representation interstate 76 for me is the game i immediately thought of and still do when i look at virginia mm. yeah i think yeah i think it's a fair point about firewatch i mean graphically they do look fairly similar and there's themes going through of um yeah people in vast areas of wilderness or you know in amongst nature and there's the slightly weird sort of murder mystery missing Mm. person mystery that goes on but you know you can't inarguably firewatch is a game that is all about the dialogue between the main characters compared to a game that has zero dialogue so yeah there's there's definitely comparisons to make but there's also some fairly stark differences Mm. at the same time yeah i think the the want to to deal with similar subject matters almost in a way, but the way that they actually deliver it to the user are yeah. polar opposite ends. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Yeah. And that's for me, that's quite a quite a big difference between this yeah. and most other games in the same respect, because again, everybody's gone to the rapture is all about dialogue and having things told directly to you. Gone home is all reading and hearing journal mm-hmm. entries. So to be yeah. completely devoid of any dialogue exposition at all. Yeah, and, and Tacoma, definitely... much, like, much like several of those games, but everybody's gone to the Rapture specifically, you are seeing little conversations and scenes that have happened between characters. You may be out of time, but the, yeah. the point is to take away the, from those interactions, most of which is done verbally rather than visually. 
it's it's definitely fascinating mm. because I think they are the the four ones. If you exclude Tacoma, they're the four ones that I think of have been around a similar period of time, which is yeah. probably ironic because there's maybe a closer time link to Tacoma than there is to Gone Home. But in terms of Gone Home, as John said, it's about reading. Uh, information in Virginia. It's about visually representing that information without yeah. audio. In uh, everybody's gone to the rapture. It's about taking on the information passively via seeing logs. And yeah. in uh, Firewatch, it's about taking the information in actively as it's been talk as mm-hmm. it's been spoken yeah. to you. So they are. I mean, they are the the four ways of kind of delivering the information um, in terms of active and passive. And it, it's quite interesting how. They are all able to uh, to deal with the subject matters in those games that they do and deliver that to the player. But I think if someone had handed me the task about how do we do this, I would personally see Virginia as the toughest task to de- to deliver and convey that information to the user. Oh, yeah. Because we have no spoken word and mm. no written word, really. It's kind of we Just we names basically, we, isn't it? Nameplates and things. Yeah, we see the information actively. Yeah, we see the information actively, and we kind of have to follow the information ourselves. It's an interesting challenge because it is it is mm. absolutely hard to kind of convey information in in this you know almost entirely kind mm. of gesture and and often kind of music driven way. Um, but at the same time, they don't have to be calling voice actors back into the studio, you know, yes. days after yeah. days because they've Revised changed their script. mind yeah, about absolutely. something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they know that their performances will be as good as they can animate them, um, mm. you know, and there's often, if you if you don't have a high budget, it's sometimes hard to get the, the best actors for things. Yeah. And so it was... They they said they made the choice to be more flexible with the with the narrative, but at the same time, I it's it is a bold choice to take, mm. and and one that really shows mm. like their own confidence in their ability mm. to kind of animate and and do these other storytelling devices. And I genuinely believe the artistic approach they took is the only way they could have really done that, because otherwise you really do run the risk of falling into the uncanny valley kind of yeah. graphics territory of how do you convey emotion without actually that being spoken to you. Yeah, we've seen other games struggle to deal with emotion. I mean, um, the whole Quantic Dream uh, thing is that they continually try with their, their big releases to uh, bring emotion to players, but they are doing it with voices and these high-end graphics, and it all comes oh, off a little facial bit stilted. Full facial emotion capture, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And it yeah. still comes off a little bit stilted. Mm. If these characters looked like Quantic Dream characters, we would all be asking, why aren't they talking? You know, they they look yeah, like yeah, humans, yeah, so why won't yeah. they just say words? And so, because they're a little abstracted, we're yeah, much more yeah. willing to go with the with, with mm. the more abstract storytelling. But I think that's the interesting thing about these particular games that we're mentioning. Not just the four you mentioned, Carl, but yeah, Tacoma definitely as well. This is the only one that actually has rendered characters in front of you in such a way that you can see facial expression. And a lot of the communication is done by little looks, little glances. It doesn't need to be high-fidelity realism, but they do need to get across in the same way that a stage actor has to. They have to be able to emote in such a way that you get across some of what could be said with voice and isn't. And in a lot of those other games, it's all voice, whether that's on a log or um, whether that's happening like in Tacoma and everybody's gone through the rapture in front of you. 
it's all done with the voice because you can't really see the form in the face and you can't see much of the body language. Uh, with the um, technical limitations of the you know, low-level graphics, I mean, maybe I'm the only person who had any issues with this, mm-hmm. but I did find it was more difficult to see some of the uh, more uh, emotional facial expressions. Like There were a lot of scenes where you see Anne looking into a mirror, yeah. and every time I was like, I'm not sure if she's she's trying to sort of look angry or if that's just kind of the way that her face <laughs> is drawn in this graphical style. And even to the point where... I mean, again, it's probably just me not being particularly observant, but I found that there were, I think, three uh, pairs of characters who looked similar enough that I had difficulty (laughs) telling which was which. And it took me a while to realise why the the priest, the father, uh, his wife was always looking upset because then he's having an affair with a woman who character model looks almost identical and i didn't realize it was two different (laughs) people until there was a scene with both of them in together yeah and the same thing with the the missing boy there's another young male character who looks so similar that i wasn't sure initially whether they were supposed to be the same person or not yeah well yeah they're like the two two key characters in the story and i thought for a while that it was the same character i couldn't understand this kid's supposed to be missing but there's this other kid who looks near enough identical yeah and then things seem to wrap up a little bit, but obviously it's not been sorted, so it yeah. can't be the same person. No, absolutely. In regards to the two women looking the same, that really did throw me for the longest time. Hmm. And you can you can make an argument that um, somebody who's cheating on his wife is uh, cheating with someone who looks very similar because that's <laughs> their type of person. We've probably already gone past the point, but I should say that we do need to give a spoiler warning. This game is probably in the first playthrough it could take you as much as two hours but it's mm. more likely to be in the sort of hour to hour and a half and certainly subsequent playthroughs were kind of an hour and change for me it's really short but it is almost all story obviously we're not going to hold back on story we've already talked about some uh plot points but i don't think we've kind of got into the main nitty-gritty of any of it yet so hopefully we haven't spoiled anything for those who might want to go and uh, go and play uh, the other thing I do want to say is uh, we are four men, I don't think any of whom would identify as uh, being certainly not of African descent, you know, maybe even people of colour at all. Um, and this game is very much about two uh, women of colour who work in the FBI. I don't think any of us have worked in the FBI either, which f- feels like a bit of a joke, <laughs> but equally well, I think it thing. is fair to say that we are out of our wheelhouse here. Uh, and obviously, if our perspective, therefore, is is not going to be uh, the same as someone who the main characters do relate to more in terms of who they are and the position they're in. So, uh, ju- I I can't not say it. Apologies if that sounds like overkill to do to you, but I think it's important to say. Um, we've kind of touched on what is Virginia by relation to some of. Uh, its cohorts, some of uh, its influences, but uh, we had a forum post uh, from Sage and Onion Knight um, on the forums at com forward slash forum, where we do take a lot of feedback for all of our shows, so if you've got anything to say for any upcoming shows, do go there. Uh, And I thought this might kick us off into kind of talking about what Virginia is, for want of a better, uh, better way to put it. 
Um, so S- Sage and Onion Knight says, uh, my initial disappointment with this game was down to the fact that I'd been really looking forward to it, both as a fan of more narrative-focused walking simulators and as a massive fan of David Lynch. The idea of such, such a game that cited Lynch and Twin Peaks as an influence had me eagerly anticipating Virginia. Unfortunately, when it came to actually playing it, all that excitement gradually disintegrated away. I respected the game's boldness in doing away with dialogue and telling its story through what you see, hear and do in the game world, but then I often found the game wasn't bold enough when it came to, for example, applying its Lynch influence in a way that wasn't far too overtly referential for my tastes. I love Lynch for the fact that his work can be so distinctively unorthodox and experimental, not just because the characters might sometimes go to a diner and drink coffee. When it came to the gameplay, I found the smash cuts got in the way of everything I love about the walking simulator. I'd try to explore these often aesthetically beautiful spaces that the game put me in only to be smashed into the next scene. At points, it started to feel like that Waterworld arcade game that Millhouse plays in The Simpsons. Ultimately, I found it a game that wasn't accessible enough to be enjoyable and not experimental enough to be appreciated on that level. When I think back to it, I have fairly vivid memories of some of the locations, driving under those clear skies, the dark loneliness of the protagonist's apartment, um, some of the more surreal areas towards the end. And it would be great if playing it with lower expectations revealed qualities that I hadn't noticed on my first playthrough. Because, to return to the subject of David Lynch, I was left cold by Mulholland Drive when I first saw it, but now it's one of my all-time favourite films. Um, I thought that was uh, interesting. My argument would be that vignettes that are kind of quick cut together is part of the experimental side of this game uh, uh, that did work for me, but obviously didn't for um, Sage and Onion Knight. I've kind of written what in response to what is Virginia, it's a mechanics light narrative driven collection of vignettes. Um, I don't know if you guys want to expand on that uh, and sort of talk about what the moment to moment is, but how this, the game's structured and presented in, in greater detail than we already have. I'll jump in to yeah. agree with you that the, uh, what he refers to as smash cuts between scenes, yeah. um, uh, which I, I don't really, I'm not sure that that's the correct term, to to use that as it is but um i found that that was one of the things that really reminded me of uh, more the style of narrative that you'd have in a tv show or a movie where yeah. you know you don't need to see two minutes of a character leaving their office and walking down various bland corridors all the way out to the car mm-hmm. and then getting into the car it's fine to have two seconds of walking down a corridor to know that that's what's happening then a, a cut to mm. what's probably an hour later, the two characters sitting in the car where the sort of the next pertinent scene happens. Yeah. Um, I actually really appreciated that not, as we talked about earlier, padding out the length of the game with what could have been making you do everything. And uh, the other thing that I find a lot of these air quotes walking simulators do is they give you a whole ton of not really busy work, but just, pointless little things i mean little things to pick up and play with and it was Mm. very notable to me with virginia that it felt less like a game because you only really had in every if we want to come down to it call them vignettes call them scenes Mm. each one really only had one point of interaction and the the gameplay the kind of puzzle there is 
finding out what it is that you're supposed to be interacting with, whether that's the door to go into the next room or something that you pick up to look at. And then that moves the game forwards compared to bring it back to gone home again, where you'd have a million little things that you could mess about with on the way, little, mm. you know, sort of a bottle of shampoo that you could pick up and play with, or you could turn the faucet on or something like that. And I started this game notable um, that you start in a bathroom looking into the mirror. And I think the first thing you do is you uh, look down, you open a handbag and put makeup on. Mm -hmm. And then the next puzzle piece is basically open the door and leave. And I spent probably 30 seconds before that going round and trying to flush the toilet and turn the uh, <laughs> yeah, turn the yeah. taps on <laughs> and turn the, the air dryer on because that's what you would do in every single other video game. And that's yeah. that's one of the things that, I feel like has been praised mm. for video games, that interactivity of, hey, look at this, 20 years ago you couldn't flush the toilet, but when the first game that did it did it, wasn't that a great step forwards? And now you can do everything, now you can mess about with everything. And it just made Virginia feel so much more succinct and to the point that mm. you didn't have those millions of little bits of interaction. I absolutely agree. And as everyone knows, I'm incredibly highbrow. Um, so <laughs> the one thing that Virginia reminded me of, um, and John mentioned TV shows and stuff, but it actually, the, the way it cut between scenes and delivered uh, scenes without spoken language was actually, it reminded me of the opera. Mm. Um, so that's how it conveyed its emotion. Um, and it reminded me, obviously, with it being like opera, a lot like stage where... Once the scene plays out, we clear everything off and we go to the next scene. There's not necessarily that transition, you know, you, you don't you're not at place you start at place A, you don't get to place C via mm. going through B, do you? You go from A to C. And that's yeah. kind of what this game does. And I think succinct is the perfect way to do it. The game cuts out so much of the the, the fluff that we don't need. A lot of the time with uh, with with other games of this ilk, and you know, I understand that it's something that that puts Sage and Onion Knight off, but at the same time, it's actually the thing that I appreciated most is that this was a game yeah. that had its very own message that it wanted to give. I mean, it was up to me how I what I thought that message was, but it got me to those things quick. And once once it had made its point, it got me to the next part of the game, and it just yeah. it, for me it kept things ticking over at a much better pace. Um, than I find with a lot of other games. Yeah, it was quite bold. It was quite brave in how it was done. But for me, it's it's one of the things that absolutely worked in this game. Yeah, we, we talk about um, cinematic a lot in games, both as kind of a selling point and as people like criticizing them. Um, but, <laughs> but I feel like this game approaches being cinematic in, in different ways than, than Uncharted or whatever you would call it, where it's, it's really paced well and that's that's just such such a kind of unique thing in terms of something that is only story you know if you've ever tried to like watch one of those oh it's it's the movie cut of a game on youtube where they just like put all the cutscenes together and then it's like oh it's a 30 hour long movie <laughs> yeah. and most of it doesn't matter you know this is it is every scene matters to the larger plot and because mm. they do these kind of vignettes and everything is very specifically timed they have a lot more control over like where the music is bringing you in a scene and because you can't just wander around for 20 minutes that means that the music is going to be hitting those emotional notes 
right on the money. Um, and I think it's, you know, it, it is a very different experience than than those more contemplative games like Rapture or Firewatch, which I do also enjoy. But I think it's, you know, they're delivering a story in a way that that feels it. It's rare to have something just move along at a good clip for its whole runtime in, in yeah. gaming because we just want to have so much extra stuff to do. And mm. so, yes, I. I I will I will just pile on everyone praising it for being such a succinct game. I think the one thing that really impressed me in how it delivers its story and and you know what you make of that story is is by the by at this point. Um, it's not going to be for everyone. It, it the way it tells the story, the the kind of story it is, it, it's going to put off as many people as it'll actually you know impress. The game always gives you just enough of what's happening with the plot between scenes that you fill in the different, uh, you fill in those gaps yourself. So, you know, you can go from scene one to scene two and it can seem like a jump cut, but as you're playing the slower paced bits uh, of the new scene, you're already playing back the things that have happened. And I described this game in our Slack channel as something that was a really slow burner after the fact. Mm-hmm. Now, I won't go too far into what the ending is because we're obviously we're going to get there. Yeah. But if I was to say that when the game finished, I was a little bit nonplussed. There were things that I liked and things that I wasn't so hot on. And then the next day, I was a little bit more keen on the game. The next week, I was really quite appreciative of it. A month later, I thought it was actually pretty great. And that's because these things continued to play on my mind because the game didn't tell me what these things were. I thought about what they had to have been. And therefore, there's no story can be delivered better to me than the one that I'm imagining filling in the gaps. And that is a really strong tool if you can deliver that in the right way. And for me, it is delivered the right way. It's almost as if this cuts out the bits between. I mean, you could have a a 10-hour game that is an hour and a half of cutscenes, then with eight and a half hours of combat and stuff in between them. Sure. And yep. when you go back and think about it, yeah, I mean, the combat might be fun and there might be bits of it that are memorable. But if you're thinking about, uh, say, one of the recent Tomb Raider games or something, how much of what you remember is the cutscenes compared to the bits in between them? And this feels a bit like they've actually cut the gameplay sections out and they've left it with the memorable stuff. So when yes. you go back and think about Virginia, you remember it or you remember you've got the entire thing in your head because you haven't got to make room for all of the samey things going on in the meantime. Yeah. I, I wish I could play devil's advocate on this uh, and and take the opposing position, but I I have long complained and i shouldn't complain all manner of games for all manner of people but i've long complained about cinematic games where the editing and the way that the cutscenes are put together is like a film and then other than little bits of information and passive comment comments when you're playing the game there is nothing almost added to the story it builds a world but it's not helping tell the story as you play through it so yeah the pacing then for me gets shot because all the story happens in a cutscene and 
in between, if I happen to be bad at the game or I'm playing on a high difficulty, suddenly I've got twice or three times as long as someone who might be whipping through the game really the gameplay sections really quickly and the pacing can't be controlled at all um and and whilst the more interactive a game can be it feels like the player should be putting more of themselves into it um uh, an oft say an off uh sort of given criticism towards uh for for ease of nomenclature i'm going to call them walking simulators i don't like the term but that's it's out of my hands now that's out in the world that's what they're called i guess um with those i've always kind of pushed back against the notion that because they are light on mechanics it means that they are light on interactivity and it sounds such a my first philosophy class thing to say the interactivity is me processing what i've seen and what i've explored and what i've imagined in my brain and the gaps and spaces in the story and in the in the game that it allows me to put myself into i can't do that in uncharted i love that some people can or that some people take something different from that i can't it's a story that's served up spoon-fed to me that's what it is to me and and that's a horrible thing to say about a really incredibly well-crafted story and world and set of characters but that's my takeaway from it and it it's weird because i i love film and tv and and more uh passively presented media but i also and and, and film and tv can absolutely leave uh gaps in story that the viewer can insert their interpretation into um so it doesn't need to be about interactivity for me. Uh, and I get that for some people that means, you know, not a game, however you want to put it. But the spaces in this story that allowed me, as you said, Carl, for me it's a week. But I played the game back to back to back and then stopped there, didn't put it on again, and just have spent this week thinking about what I think happened in this game, what I think yeah. was going on. And, and as for, like, the scenes where you're walking down, say, to um, Maria's office, and it's kind of like you walk through a corridor, you walk to a set of stairs, you go down a a flight or two, and then it cuts down to the bottom floor, and you walk around the corner, and it it cuts again. What that allows the game to do, by not having you do the whole lot, is it can string scenes together uh, and change, uh, say, the scene where Anne's sitting on her bed. That happens multiple times, and each time... Uh, the way it happens leaves you unsure of whether that's happening in a dream or whether it's happening in reality because all it does is present you with the same shot as it were and something different or something unnerving happening like uh, turning to your right and seeing a buffalo turning to your left and seeing a glowing red door or just waking up and having your boss sat on the end of your bed there's stuff like that where essentially they're just showing you the same scene again but it changes each time and the fact that uh, it doesn't require you to play through loads of the same to then give you something different. It can present you with something that looks familiar and switch it up on you in a way that is really quite cool. And having, I guess, jump cuts is probably the way that most people will know the term rather than smash cuts. Although I think smash cuts speaks to how Sage and Onion Knight felt about it. It felt uh, to to them jarring, I think it's fair to say. I hope I'm not putting words into, into their... Uh, into, their mouth as it were um but those jump cuts did keep me on the edge of my seat because i didn't know where we're going next whereas if i'm walking through a contiguous world i know where i'm going next and then it's up to uh the the game designer to change that up on me 
in ways that, say, something like PT, I guess, does each time you're walking into the same corridor and you're walking through it, but it's different. And this does it just in a different way that happened to work for me, I guess. So in terms of playing Virginia, I think we've kind of talked through that. It's all first person, I guess we should say, perspective. Um, and it's a lot of moving around an environment. And the other thing I liked was the cursor changes at a fairly large distance away from your target. So you're never really all that often left wondering what it is you need to do to move the scene on. It then becomes up to you how much you want to explore what else is in the environment or whether you're just beelining to the to the exit, as it were, of the scene. Um, and lots of the scenes are very small, single rooms or sat in the front of a car. And, yeah. you know, you might be sat there for 30 seconds sort of looking around, trying to figure out where the point of interaction is. Yeah, but yeah absolutely. It's it's all so concise that it's it's never feels like it's wasting your time making no, you that, that could, sort of yeah, that could never be level, I don't think, at the, at the game. Yeah. In terms of the uh, visuals, I've put here a muted palette, but I'm not actually sure I'm okay with that description because it is quite a colourful game. I think what I meant was it it's uh because it doesn't have a lot of direct reflection uh and kind of that shine to it that some games can have where they're trying to sort of bounce bounce light around in a realistic way. It looks quite matte and it looks quite uh I guess I guess flat in a way, but even that feels harsh. So yeah, no, I, I think I know what you. It's mean. an autumnal color palette. Yeah, that, yeah, absolutely. I, I almost wanted to say pastel, but again, there's some quite sort of bright, vivid uh, colors in there. Uh, autumnal definitely gets that across mm. in some it's, of the. I think it's pieces. more watercolory. Yeah, um, yeah. But I think maybe the the way that it looks muted is in the respect that I don't think they use that many different colors. Like it's not six different shades of red that they'll use on something. It's normally quite quite here there um it almost looks as if it's sort of a painting by numbers thing where each scene has like 15 yeah. different colors in it yeah yeah i think that's yeah. fair yeah and yeah. not that sounds very dismissive but i'm not no, no. not no. meaning it in a negative way as as the one member of the panel that's probably spent more than a little time in virginia uh, <laughs> they do they do actually <laughs> capture capture kind of what what fall feels like in mm. the southern united states pretty well um it's it's really that kind of just like a gorgeous blanket of forest with with a couple trees that are just starting to turn you know i could tell that it was kind of at the at the earlier end more towards summer than towards winter mm. um and and the how they kind of enter the town by driving through that long tunnel yeah. through the mountain is the the town is fictional but those tunnels absolutely exist mm -hmm. you know driving if you're driving through many many states but but they mm -hmm. are in virginia and and that kind of eerie feeling of it's day but it's dark in this tunnel and you're kind of lit by by just these lights whizzing mm -hmm. past you um is is something that though it's a simple art style they really they really managed to capture these specific feelings very well would you say that it's um, specifically very similar to Virginia, or is it more just a sort of a more generic uh, rural USA setting? I mean, it's 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 hard to say. You know, it feels like North yeah. Carolina, and I live in North Carolina, so. Um, <laughs> but but it's certainly it's certainly that kind of like the southeast feeling. You know, it doesn't it doesn't feel like a town in ohio or a town in you know nevada or something like they mm. do 
they do capture this this at least region of the US pretty well, which is also interesting because none of the developers of this game are American. And so mm-hmm. I find it fascinating that they chose to pick this specific place to do it. Uh the reason that I brought it up was because I just think from my own experience of watching lots of these movies and things uh some of the x-files episodes that it reminded me of the most are set in like the pacific northwest and i think that was where they did a lot of filming of the show on um uh, in that area and it reminded me a lot of lots of stephen king um yeah right things as well which he generally tends to set in new england from what i'm aware of Mm -hmm. and it's it just looks i mean foresty and rural and i didn't know if it was specifically something that you'd see in in the area that it's set in or if it's just a bit more yeah i mean it's a it's a fair criticism and and lots of like twin peaks for instance was set in you know washington uh which is all the way across the country um so so yes it could it could be many places but it does feel it does feel like a town that i've been to you know so so whatever that like je ne sais quoi that that makes Mm. it feel like Mm. a small town is there there's certainly something very American about it. It's not like yes. anywhere that I've seen in in the UK or in Europe or Australia. It's unmistakably American, absolutely, mm. and and it's kind of almost playing on the stereotype of that's what we think those areas of America look like. Therefore, when we see it, we know what that area is. And it's interesting that you said that none of the development team are from there, but it, that's what reminds me most of uh, Remedy doing Alan Wake, mm-hmm. um, again based on the Pacific Northwest, which. You know, they're from Finland, yeah. so yeah. <laughs> they're quite Again, quite a distance away from Twin Peaks and X Files yeah. and Stephen King, yeah, or 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 other you know reference art from Virginia specifically. I mean, what what it did remind me of that specific section you're talking about, Jacob, on the roads, um, with kind of heavily forested areas around, um, was some of the kind of like the the scenes when people are moving between one place and another in, for example, Silence of the Lambs, um, which obviously is based around the FBI, is based some of it around... Uh, I'm, I'm right in saying the FBI headquarters isn't a million miles away from Virginia, right? It's... Quantico, Quantico is Virginia. Yeah. Right, so, and Virginia's right next to DC, so lots of, lots of yeah, things are there. So a lot of the training uh, and stuff like that, because there are scenes in Silence of the Lambs where Clarice is uh, in... FBI training camp where she is driving out to where uh, Hannibal Lecter is being held and driving to FBI headquarters or or to the um into small town America where some of the the uh victims bodies are are found um and I, th- I thought it did get across some of that kind of flavor as well which again again with um somewhere like Virginia I think there probably are enough touchstones and reference points in popular culture but also you know google's a thing google maps is a thing it's possible to get some decent reference art there and certainly i've never been to virginia it felt there was you know it felt right to me but if you're saying it feels you know like a a decent uh go of it for someone who has been to virginia then all the better um and it is also interesting that it's um it's it's in 92 and so it's kind of an idealized i mean the 90s are still still later than like a lot of a lot of what we think of as like typical american culture but the fact that people aren't 
they're not on their phones. They're not, you know, catching an sure. Uber. Like there are there are things that make it feel a little more classic, and I think that that helps with this kind of yeah. uh, small town building, and and help with that sense of isolation. Um, you know, the uh, the other way to do that obviously is something like uh, insomnia, where it, it's it, it takes the person out of the city into the wilderness and virginia isn't that but it's far enough removed where yeah you wouldn't have access to things you would have in a city and at that time you don't then have the easy cellular communication and technologies to help overcome that which is uh yeah again a bit like gone home where you wanted to go step back in time to not just a point where there was nostalgia for the time period but that it meant certain things technologically uh would just would not be uh, around and it wouldn't be an issue so so i expect we'll have more to say on the uh the heat audio um and certainly on our forums uh simon sloth very particularly wanted to uh mention the audio so i'll uh whip through i think we're going to hear from simon sloth again later but a couple of paragraphs here that particularly i think will kick us off into a discussion of the sound and music for this game um, Simon Sloth says, Virginia lives and breathes on the strength of its sound design and score. Imagine this game with a distinctly average audio experience, and I doubt Kane and Rince would be covering it. The developers obviously had so much confidence in their score, they hired the Prague Philharmonic Orchestra to record it, which says a lot about their, amb- their ambitions. The game clearly has many other merits, but the atmosphere, emotion, and sense of agency the score generates is astounding. The storytelling is delivered in short vignettes with jump cuts similar to Blendo Games' 30 Flights of Loving. The main difference is that Virginia is much longer and so it can become quite exhausting. I do believe that as a result the player is much more vulnerable to the more emotive parts of the game and its soundtrack when the scenes shift in increasing frequency. In those moments it's a roller coaster that doesn't allow you to relax for a second whilst the score swells to an overwhelming crescendo. The game reduced me to tears in these more intense moments, which would surprise a casual observer as it's less about the the precise scene and more about the build-up to that moment. Uh, For me, absolutely, I would want to cover this game with a a lesser score or a different score, Um, but I absolutely accept that in no small way uh, a lot of people's experiences in this game are going to have been aided uh improved and helped by the audio and mine certainly was uh just for me vague story goes a long way for me so music i guess is the main thing from that we might want to talk about uh how do you guys feel about the the music i think we've probably said quite a lot before about how the music (laughs) is um it basically gives you the emotion that you're missing from the dialogue and given that it's well, there's sound effects and fairly minor other bits of uh, sound interaction, but the music is it's the main thing and it is very much a part of why the game is very good. It's one of those things where it's hard to imagine what it would be like with yeah. different music in the respect that someone says, oh, you know, when they were casting Silence of the Lambs and they were using Harrison Ford instead of Hannibal Lecter, imagine what a different movie that would have been. <laughs> Um, mm. And you think, well, yeah, but also you can't really imagine it It'd be so unbelievably changed by the mm. the difference in the. So I I can't I can't think how yeah. it would work differently. I mean, it, it might not work at all with lesser music. Yeah, I think the um, as as we've said a lot about the length of the game, but but the fact that it's so 
it is it is kind of a one sitting game means that they can do a lot with the music that you can't if you have to write 10 hours of score or whatever you know they have these these really clear motifs and they come back in different ways but they don't i don't i don't really remember ever hearing the same piece twice i think pretty much the whole game is is unique mm. for that scene and so you're getting yeah. variations on it and it's kind of like you hear something and it reminds you of a previous scene and usually that's working together with whatever happens in the plot to kind of like get you to think back on on mm. other things that you've done um and so they're really able to kind of like craft this specifically for every moment of the experience mm. in a way a a movie can but uh red dead redemption can't because it's hard to write you know specific music for 70 hours of gameplay yeah yeah absolutely um and and specifically when you have less control over the pace of play i certainly found one thing i do want to say about the music is um i i kind of summed it up by saying the music lulls and swells to create dramatic tension which simon sloth kind of talked about a lot more and a lot better than than i put it um but what what i kind of meant by that was there were scenes where the music kind of eased off and I felt like there wasn't a, a tension to move forward quickly. But when the music really picked up and really uh, got to, to that sort of really tense breaking point, I felt myself wanting to, to move through the story quicker. It definitely helped control the pace uh, in in a way that something like, say, Red Dead Redemption absolutely did at certain moments. It, it did orchestrate... Uh, um, a sequence and try and time it to a piece of music and in this case i f i felt the music pushing me forward in some scenes um it's worth noting we've mentioned before that there have been picks on sound of play uh, i think but um roadhouse was on episode 103 flash forward on episode 131 those are two kind of i think for me as soon as i saw the titles of those i knew instinctively what scenes they were from what was going on and i could imagine if not the specific tune that was playing i could certainly imagine the feeling that it gave me and it took me back to those scenes I'm not sure I, I would specifically pick any other pieces out off the top of my head, but I'm sure you guys are about to say some, and I'm going to immediately think, oh, yeah. Yeah, Roadhouse in itself is significant, because I think that's the only time that there are any vocals in the um yep. in the score, and so it's, mm -hmm. it, it is a game without any spoken dialogue mm. or lyrics to a song, but you can imagine there being lyrics to that yeah. song, because it's yep. the one time that there's any kind of choral it's a it's a great moment i mean we I, we talked about it quite it's, a bit on that sound of play but like yeah. it is it is a really standout moment in this game mm. yeah i mean this game won a bafta for its music um and it's hard to believe that it would have had it not been for that scene and it's not that the music in this game isn't stellar it really is but that is the moment that when everything is over and done with that you come back to and think about in terms of the music in the game. Mm. Yeah, I'm still still humming that Roadhouse tune constantly two years after I first heard it. And I think about it all the time. That every few days I'll be humming, thinking, how's that yeah. music that I'm humming coming from? Oh, it's the Virginia music, isn't it? It does that. It's all the time. It, it does that thing that, um, oh, this is a really bad example, but it's the one that came to my mind. The opening scene of Blade, where he goes into the club and you realise that the music that's playing, the music that this fight is going to be choreographed to is actually what's playing in the club. And in that Roadhouse scene, 
that I think the reason that I instinctively and immediately knew the piece of music that Roadhouse was um, is because I think it's the only time, but it's certainly the one that stood out in the game where the music's clearly part of the scene. The characters are hearing it as well. It's not just for you, the player. There's radio in the car and stuff like that as well, but that scene is about the music you are hearing. It's not just that the music uh, accompanies and accentuates the scene, which is is not to to uh, dismiss that as exactly as as you guys have said. The the rest of the score is fantastic, and Carl, you were saying it, it absolutely is. Uh, but but that scene because it's about the music, you you understand that that's what the characters are hearing at the time, and I think that is important in that uh, that scene particularly. And let it be known that on this podcast, I compared it to opera. James <laughs> Carter compared it to Blade. <laughs> I don't know why that's the one that came to mind, because there's so many great films. It's the like, one time music could has have been p- used in a movie. Could yeah. have picked Baby Driver, didn't, went for Blade. And that's, I'm, <laughs> no apologies for that. I, I'm all in on that comparison. Uh, uh, just a note on the lack of uh dialogue in this game uh there's a an article on vice by lewis gordon that was published a couple of days after the game came out um how virginia found a voice without dialogue uh i just wanted to highlight it because as always i like to sort of shout out to uh articles that i read in kind of preparation for um for the show and i thought that one was particularly good and and make some points that that we've made as well but about the fact that it's a game where you can't fall back on the dialogue to do the storytelling for you and i think that's really notable and this whole game also, in terms of awards it won, won a Writers Guild Award <laughs> for the best writing in a video game in 2017. <laughs> so it goes through, it was definitely doing something right with its writing, yeah. even though, to me, it feels like I wrote half of it. Yeah, even though actually yeah. in terms of script, where you talk about, say, oh, I don't want to go back to Red Dead, but you talk about games where the number of words in the script, number of lines in the script yeah. are, are kind of touted as being a big part of why the script is so good. And that's not to say they're not, you know, a game that can craft that much dialogue into a coherent whole means that that's, that is a notable achievement, I think, even if it's just a number. But to say that, yeah, this game could be put forward not just for its narrative, but for essentially its script, when if you looked at its script, there would barely be a word on there that, was said out loud in the game well there wouldn't be there literally isn't there's someone on pages and stuff but uh it's all kind of it's so silent and yet speaks volumes that's such a i'm sorry i apologize it's such a cliche and really sort of trite thing to say but that's that's kind of how i felt about it in terms of the story we've talked a lot about different beats we've talked a lot about uh some of the characters etc um but because the story is kind of, uh, as you said, Carla, much as much about what the player brings to it as it is about what the developers brought to it, at least that's how I feel, it kind of made sense to me to start with the themes of the game and what the, the game is kind of tackling in the broader strokes, and then we can get into the nitty-gritty of what exactly we think happened uh, a bit later on. Uh, I think the first sort of point that i'd written down was uh the notion of institutional corruption and fbi is kind of the obvious one there but by the end of the game there's a lineup of different people representing different institutions in society all of whom may well be if not directly implicit in corruption they are 
turning like literally they they stand outside your cell when you are locked up as as uh, agent Ann Tarver and they all stand there to make the point they all know what's happening here uh there is corruption that is rife and it's it's about small town america but it's also about these national international institutions and the people that can pull strings to to make things happen within them this is one of the other interesting points is uh i kind of took some of the uh the the kind of the lineup that you talk about mm. as a, a cue that what i was seeing probably wasn't real yep. because there were numerous points where you have you know the those characters all together and i was sort of looking at it thinking why would the why would the priest guy be standing there as well what what business has he yep. got coming to the door when they come and arrest her surely this must then be a dream sequence mm. or you know a, imagination but maybe maybe it wasn't I, th- I think that's a fair mm. reading of it. Yeah, when when you're put in the cell, why would some of those people be there? It makes sense that the that your FBI boss might have been called in. It makes sense that the police would be there uh, because they are the ones literally locking you away. But yeah, why are the other characters there? And in 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 some cases, why are there like in this game? Yes, some of it takes place outside an Air Force base, but there are military personnel in the game who I still don't know what their role in this game was. But the, to me, yeah, it was to represent the influence that these people were having on what was going on in the town and just to add to the unsurety of exactly what was going on and how far this all went as a kind of conspiracy. Right. I mean, it was another another kind of X-Files tie-back sure. to me, yeah. seeing her breaking into the military base when I was playing it yesterday or the day before. And I, at that point in the in the game, I was trying to remember, well, I know they go to prison at the end. Mm. And I was trying to, going through it, thinking, what is it that they end up getting arrested for? And when I saw her climbing over the fence, going into the military base, I was like, ah, that must have been it. That must be what happens. Because, again, there are multiple X-Files episodes where Mulder goes and breaks into a military base and ends up getting captured and either tortured or jailed or having his brain washed or something. <laughs> so I'm the sort of person who will always go to institutional corruption as kind of a go-to because it's just me. I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but I tend to think that large organizations tend to start to look out for themselves and are, it's easy for individuals in there to behave in a self-interested way instead of to uphold the kind of uh, tenets of the the institution they're supposed to represent. So so this is where there is some, there's not much, but there is some mm. literal text of the game, mostly yeah. that you, you kind of read on a microfiche in the, like the, mm-hmm. the FBI basement. And, and this is where that actually comes in. Because yeah. if you, it's, it's quick reading in the game, but since I have gone back and paused it, you can, you can kind of read so, so maria's mom mm-hmm. was also a um or was it yes yes so so judith was, ortega yeah um was maria's mom and and was fired from the fbi for for making outlandish allegations and and like misusing equipment but if you read that it's it is not hard for me to imagine in 1972 that like a black woman in the FBI talking about how the other people in the FBI were like conducting themselves unethically. Yep. She would have been absolutely right on and they would have gotten rid of her to preserve their reputation, which I but, think is yep. is 
almost literally said they they say like yeah. this is important for safeguarding our reputation and yes, so that... there's, there's a very pointed uh memo or, or uh you know correspondence between two higher ups that that literally say it well figuratively say let's get rid of this person we can pin this person as a troublemaker and people will believe it right and so we'll we'll start we'll talk about kind of the the inherent politics that like race have in the game as well in a little bit but i think it's they are very tied up in each other and the fact yeah. that they view some of their people as more disposable than others mm -hmm. i think is you know is very indicative of kind of where where race relations were when her mom was in the FBI and where they still are when still she's are, in yeah. the FBI. Yes. Um, there's also a, uh, a notion, I think, although how much of this is, is real and not, that Anne Tarver's father was in the FBI. At least mm -hmm. you are given a scene, um, albeit at a point in the game where much of it could be interpreted to be dream or... Um, I don't think it's quite to the point where it could be a, a, a hallucination brought on by drugs, but I think it is in a dream sequence where she presents her FBI badge to a man lying in a bed you presume is her father who seems pleased and then hands her a key to a box that contains we don't know what because Anne immediately burns it. Um, but I took that to be that Anne may well have been in exactly the same position as Maria was in that she was handed some information about someone perhaps her father worked for in the FBI and chose instead of what Maria does with uh, with her information, which is continue the investigation, which lands her being investigated by Anne. Uh, sorry, I know this is getting complicated, but my reading was that Anne was in exactly the same position and chose to burn that information. And therefore, maybe not because of that, but because of her personality that led her to do that, her characteristics, um, was then earmarked as someone that could be relied upon to investigate and oust other people from the FBI, become uh, an IA mole, if you like. And and yeah, I thought that was that. My interpretation may not be the case, but my I I saw that as a very just very straightforward parallel between the two characters and the FBI. Then, or at least their boss specifically, uh, McCarran, is it? um choosing to 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 pit two uh women of color against one another in kind of uh prove that you're one of the good ones would be the 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 right. my reading of that situation of in order to prove that you are a black woman who's in the FBI who can be trusted you need to turn on someone who is ostensibly like you oh, and i think that um the you can see in kind of in in many of the dream sequences it, it, reading into it i think she probably regrets burning mm. the thing or or at least you know <laughs> you could take it that way because because mm. there are scenes where it's almost nightmarish like that furnace is like in the middle of the road and it's like surrounded by pictures of the missing kid like yep. oh were you gonna burn these two like are you just gonna kind of get rid of all the evidence of everything yeah um yeah. And and so yeah, it's a very you know they they clearly are kind of they want someone who will preserve their own interests and in the um in kind of the first ending um the the flash forward one hmm. um you see her turning in many more people and yeah. many of those people are also there are several men of color 
um you know like the majority specifically yeah yeah and so it's it you know there there are many levels but but yeah kind of having someone be the model minority and preserving the the higher up white interests of the fbi yeah. i think is it is not a coincidence that those men are are almost all black or brown yeah 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 and, and the first the first two at least i think are as well which again indicates that perhaps and in that future it looks like it's a dream sequence to me and, and it may be a flash forward of something that really happens or it may just be her fears but that she is being used to whitewash the fbi even as a person of color that that still absolutely can happen and it doesn't right. mean that she's not going to investigate uh, uh white uh men in the fbi but it does mean that she has to earn trust by as i say proving you're one of the good ones which i actually feel like <laughs> repulsed saying that but the fact that that's where my mind went so readily i i, I think is means it's a, a reasonable reading of of what's happening in in this game no it definitely plays on two topics really well doesn't it the of compliance and leverage yeah. um and you know what would you do in the similar situation and you know we all go above board and we'd go i couldn't do it i could see that it was wrong mm. and I, you know it's something we couldn't do is that really the case yeah well, it's your future and you see where Anne ends yeah. up in the flash yeah. forward as well she ends up so. in the top dog position so you can justify to yourself saying well if i do this now at some point later on in the future when i'm in charge then i'll be able to make changes and yeah. such and such and, and, and she does she ends up ousting or presumably in the time period the old white man has retired or died but she ends up in that position and, and she yeah, ends and up then, handing yeah. a case file to a new starter who is another exactly. woman i think of color she looks like she might be uh of of asian uh descent i'm not 100 percent sure but my reading was this was another young woman of color starting as a mm. bright ear bright eye bushy tailed uh new fbi recruit and you have now earmarked her as the next person who's going <laughs> to yeah, be yeah, the mole. That's, and that's it's exactly very, how i took it yeah, yeah 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 definitely i just thought that was uh really interesting that to me that was presented as Anne's fear of who she was becoming and i i, I love yeah. the scene where um she goes and she throws the the case file that she's built against Maria away as a as a demonstration of trust and Maria's reaction is well all right so, so what you know you were still investigating me and i'd be really interested excuse me to to i'd be really interested to hear what you guys thought of because what Maria does then is pull out a red envelope that has a tab of what we presume is LSD probably or something right. similar. Um, I think that's the implication. That Anne took from evidence and stored for herself. And so the implication there, I suppose, is that Maria was, if not investigating her, was had had, lever had some piece of leverage over Anne. However, just thinking about it the last sort of day or two, I wonder if that wasn't actually Maria trying to save Anne from potentially the 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 end of that line which is well she stole evidence and she has a drug problem that's the sort of thing that's going to get her kicked out of the fbi um i just thought that was a really interesting right. scene that i loved that could be read multiple ways um yeah potentially I, maria is discrediting the person who's being set up to discredit her as a you know backlash yeah yeah, yeah or maybe there's, there's she all just sorts knows of 
that that she could be investigated and so was kind of like paranoid rightfully want, so yeah wanted and, yeah wanted yeah to stand. yeah absolutely yeah you know it, 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 there's multiple ways you could see it one is that you've got someone who wants to do good but ultimately to do better does bad yeah um and then you've got the policy of no matter how much you look into someone if you look long enough and and hard enough you'll always find someone guilty of something yeah Yep. And then, you know, will you use that to get them out to fill someone else's agenda if it benefits you? Um, are you just being a good employee when someone says, I want you to um, look into this agent and then you start seeing this agent? Everyone does something bad. Everyone yeah. will get yeah, caught yeah. out if they're looked at long enough because well, they'll do something wrong. If you're an and, old white man in American politics, not necessarily. <laughs> There are multiple sort of ways that you can actually look at the topic that's being had. You know, is is it someone protecting themselves? Is it someone uh, with a racist agenda? Um, Is it someone who uh, is happy enough to do stuff that isn't great? Um, Is it someone who thinks they're actually doing great and they're actually being naive? Um, You know, there's multiple different ways. And part of me thinks that it's probably a bit of all of Mm. them. Um, And... I just think it's a really, I don't want to say brave topic to take on, but a difficult topic sure. to yeah. perhaps deliver well. And and I think, for me, this is why Virginia excelled for me weeks after I'd played it, because mm-hmm. these are the things that I continue to think about. Mm-hmm. Um, I do also think, just just to touch on, um, mm-hmm. they they do a very good job of of kind of putting you in the the role of a woman woman in an all all kind of male environment like the very yeah. first time you get on the elevator there's that dude who just gives you a little a little down up you know just yeah. kind of like yeah. like mm-hmm. you can feel the eyes on you in a way that yeah. that is is very intentionally like you're an outsider here mm. you know everyone is watching you extra hard because of who you are yeah do do what I do what I say, otherwise you won't be here long, kind of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In in Kingdom, uh, which I, I should say is the fictional town in Virginia, it there as well, there was definitely a sense for me that as you walk into the house for the first time, uh, whether it was directly or otherwise, there was this notion of you were being judged for uh I guess another scene would be when the politician walks up to the, the diner table. Um and clearly wants to engage and immediately puts his hand on Maria's shoulder, which she's not happy about. And he then just kind of drops a badge on the table and walks away. And there's a, there is a, um, there is kind of this sense of needing the, these two women needing to prove themselves skepticism as to whether they will be able to find the missing boy, which is why they're there. Um, and just general kind of dismissal of them. Um, it's difficult to know the scene where the, I think they're supposed to be teenagers um, kind of pull up in the car next to you uh, at the petrol station and kind of knock on the window to get your attention and then sort of one of them flips you the bird and they speed away uh, and then later on that becomes a physical altercation with the same one of the those characters. Um, it's, it's difficult to know whether that's supposed to be them uh, riling, uh, sort of pushing back against authority in general or whether that's specifically because of who you are as an as an authority figure, as as Anne being a um a, a woman of color, um, 
and and I I like the fact that the fact that there's no dialogue there means that you you literally don't know as I have to imagine I'd never been in the position but I imagine people never know if someone looks at you the wrong way is it personal is it specific to your your role or you you know your the way you look or what you know I think it's a very difficult thing but I think not having the dialogue helps get that across and leaves the player without some of the pieces you would need to make that decision and therefore it comes down to your own your own interpretation and and your own mood at the time I think it's really really clever way of doing it all right um I also want to touch on just before we move on yeah um, there are a couple when when you're in um when you're in Maria's house or maybe her do you know her mom's house it's kind of unclear where that is but like you you sleep over there are posters um of of leftist organizations mm. and specifically kind of there's there's an SDS poster which stands for students for a democratic society and there's right. a kind of abstracted um kind of like an Angela Davis looking character that's like mm. free this person um and and SDS specifically um was you know is a is a radical leftist group that um in you know i <laughs> i was i was a member in in college but but many years ago um they spawned the weathermen which was a an even more radical group that did like uh bombings in protest to the vietnam war you know never never killed any civilians but would kind mm. of attack structures and whatever as like a a very you know the the most anti-imperialist group and mm. and one that was not uh only using pacifist tactics and so it is just fascinating to me that those are in the house of of an FBI agent and potentially a family of FBI agents yeah, yeah. because it's like that is the least government institutional whatever group you could possibly have um and 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 so it just it adds a level of depth to those characters that's like what what took you on this road you know how were yeah. you how were you in SDS in college and or you know whenever and and then kind of decided to join the institution and there are yeah. there are a whole number of different different things that you can kind of read into from that but i thought it was a very very interesting little note that i would imagine probably just you know passes most people by and i'm sure there are many other things that i missed that are are equally important uh yeah no absolutely i, th I think this this in that way definitely does the thing that a lot of um walking simulators or kind of environmental theater type games um do which is it, it does reward you for kind of looking around and seeing even just from uh Anne's apartment the stages of unpacking and kind of building a life depending upon collectibles you find and, and different things you find around the game does kind of change it and does kind of inform a little bit who these characters are uh, but that as a as a backdrop is yeah i agree incredibly interesting we've talked a lot already i think about the narrative setup and what i'd like to probably i th think we've mentioned many of the kind of questions i had about the game but what i would like to discuss is uh, kind of our interpretations of the ending not that we're going to be exhaustive by any means but just to get a feel for where this game kind of left us before we uh, we sum up um, so very quickly another uh, 
part of Simon Sloth's post, uh, which I think should sort of fire us into into this discussion. Um, Simon Sloth says, uh, the game doesn't patronise the player, it hangs uh, plot threads in the air to be grasped and allows for connections to be made, which may or may not be correct. Dream sequences, LSD-driven hallucinations, character switches, flash-forwards, flashbacks are all in service of the non-linear storytelling. I still don't really know what's real and what's not. I still don't know if, if the missing boy at the end was genuinely there or whether Anne was still hallucinating or dreaming. This is part of what I love about the game in that every time I play it, I start thinking it a little differently about the chain of events and where each scene sits chronologically. There's no spoken dialogue, there's very little interactivity, it's not really even a walking simulator, as there are more stationary moments than actual walking. You are a passenger in the experience, for some, and for some the ride may not be worth it. For me it's a trip I'll be taking again and again. Um, so I think in terms of time we should probably move to where this story left us, because I think in terms of most of the setup and a little bit of where the story kind of goes, we've we've kind of touched on enough um but where this game leaves the player i think is incredibly interesting because uh, it is almost any interpretation is is valid um, there's an alien abduction <laughs> out of nowhere yeah um there <laughs> there is an alien abduction but the the immediate thing you then see after the alien abduction is the character that was abducted climbing over some rocks at the back um, which is this weird thing of, well, this is during a dream or maybe hallucination sequence, so what is that trying to tell us? Was there really something paranormal going on? Or is that just in small-town America, you know, that's possibly one of the things people think when someone goes missing? That's not to say anything about small-town America, it's just the notion of a, a closed society where there may not be... Um, an external perspective to shine on to a series of events, I guess, is, is the way I would put that. Um, I think it's just really interesting how much of of these scenes are real. My, my kind of takes very vanilla, I think, in that I think Anne has several dream sequences that kind of illuminate for her what's going on. Not that there is a conspiracy, but that this community is so tight and so so able to shut down uh any investigation to close ranks against an investigation that maybe they can't work out what's going on um and then she has a, a dream sequence that kind of indicates where her future could go and then decides to take the drugs that she has stashed away to escape from that now whether that's an issue of ending up uh killing herself I, I i don't think the there's a strong amount of information for that reading but certainly to say that she in the prison cell takes drugs to escape from the predicament she's found herself in that's kind of my reading of it which is uh, if if not a nod towards suicide is certainly a nod towards she's just giving in to the addictive side of her personality um potentially in order to get away from a situation that she doesn't want to be in, which is a really depressing read on it. But I think, as I say, it's a vanilla read because it is quite straightforward in that I think the dreams are illuminating for Anne what the situation is, and the last dream she has illuminates her future that she really doesn't want and so turns away from that. Um, 
and almost by the end of the game where you see that maybe Lucas has just run away, I think that's just her kind of happy ending to the story that she may never know the ending to. Um, yeah, I'm I'm not convinced that that Lucas runaway thing is real yeah. because um, in that scene where you see him, he's carrying a guitar case, yeah. which you saw earlier on in the little dark room in the house. That's so a good call. It yep. seems unlikely yeah, that if he call. ran away, he would have had the guitar with yeah. him. Yeah. I do think that taking... I didn't take the the drugs nearly as negatively, maybe okay, just yeah. because of the 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 role of like LSD versus something like she wasn't like shooting heroin, sure. you know, like yeah, yeah. it seems like that's that's a more kind of open your mind drug, you know, like like yeah. view mm. things from a broader perspective, not necessarily like falling back on addictive habits. You know, I think. I think that with with all of the the imagery that we see, a lot of it is is obviously metaphorical or or just entirely kind of absurd. But mm. in that, there's also a lot of truth that you know. I think I think that that is where we see you know like the the uh, father being caught having an affair and stuff like that, which I think that we can basically take on its face as what yeah, happened because they have the photo. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so so I think that that there is, you know, she's just kind of broadening her perspective beyond the the you know, the community is very closed, mm. but so is the FBI. And so sure. by yeah. seeing things from beyond that, I think she's actually able to illuminate like a lot more of the story then. So so would it be fair to say that where I'm saying her dreams allowed her more insight into what was going on, you're then saying well she looked for even more insight by by trying to induce a hallucination I, might... I, yeah i just i think the i think the lsd is almost entirely metaphorical you know i don't i really don't think it's meant to make any commentary on like mm. her her doing drugs or not because in the in the dream she does she's taking like pills she's like taking pain pills and she and one of the scenes in the diner she's trying to empty a flask into her coffee so there, right. there's kind of indications well, that's of somebody else isn't it that's when you're seeing the world through lots of other people's eyes, and she's yeah, I wasn't sure about that. It she's one of the yeah, at that guys. point she's handed the baby, but I could have sworn the hands were still hers. But she's handed the baby of well, the, the yeah, son the hands are still hers, isn't it? All of it, yeah. yeah, yeah. Those scenes don't they cut back? So she's sat in the chair pouring the the flask into the coffee, mm. and then it cuts back to another visual of, of the, the yeah, army yeah, guy yeah. from a third person view. Yeah. Yeah, so I don't. I I think that 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 end is is kind of metaphor from from start sure. to finish, okay. and that yeah, includes yeah. her kind of taking the tab. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. I don't think there's anything specifically negative about that. I mean, in my eyes, it's just well, you're stuck in prison for God knows how long. What can I do for eight hours that is going to make this a little bit more <laughs> yeah, enjoyable her, than it is otherwise? Rather than yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, what else are you going to do? Lie on a bed and stare yeah, at the wall. Because there's also the question well of if she's some... been put into a cell, how does she still have the well? How does she still have the locket? But also, how does she still have an envelope with with drugs in it? Would they not maybe have taken those off her? But um, yeah, no, that's when... interesting. I I probably should examine why I went straight to the negative there. But um, Carl, we haven't heard at all from you hmm. on your interpretation of the ending. I, I think it's intentionally open. For sure. Um, I don't, don't think we can d deny that. I, the way I saw it was that the whole thing was a, a search for escapism, a, a search to get away from everything 
that's happened in her life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and whether that is drugs, whether it's, you know, um, the hope to be abducted, uh, maybe that's their only sense of escape. Um, I, I think where, where you sit on that doesn't so much matter. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, I've flipped back and forth across many different theories. Um, and this is the kind of thing that will drive some people yeah, mad, not, not having a finite. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> but for me, this is kind of why I absolutely love the way that this game ended. Mm. Um, anything that ends open and makes me think over time, I definitely appreciate. But for me, um, the whole thing was a longing hope for a, an escape from the life that's that's happening. Yeah, once well, uh, I'm, uh, I agree. I'm also happy not knowing for sure for certain yeah, what yeah. happens. And again, you know, call me a broken record on this. This comes back to another episode of the X Files <laughs> where happened numerous times where they spend three or four yeah. days investigating some crime. Something else goes wrong. Like Mulder breaks onto an army base like an idiot, gets kicked out of the town. The FBI drag them back and reprimand them, and the case never gets solved. They never figure out what happened to the missing person. Yeah, and this just this could be exactly the same thing. It just the investigation gets cut short. You don't know what happened yeah. to Lucas Fairfax. At the you know small town mentality and the the conspiracy between yeah. the as you say the politician, the military, the police, the FBI, the church all just kind of gets in the way and it doesn't ever get resolved nicely because in the real world it doesn't yeah yeah and and i think the point very much that i took away from it was it may well be none of those people have anything to do with why this kid's disappeared but they will never let you find out whether that's the case yeah like they don't want the fbi snooping around because you're going to uncover other things it could also be potentially that you know you can't actually live with the truth of what actually did happen yep the, the, maybe the reality of what did actually happen to Lucas was considerably worse. Yeah, yeah, quite possibly. Um, no, I mean, I, I'm a sucker for a story being really vague as well. Um, my, I'll just say that my favourite episode of Buffy is one that probably is a lot of people's least favourite because it just calls into question everything that happened in that show. Um, uh, and, and that's one. I haven't watched that TV show in years, but it, just the notion that there is uh the, the, of a narrative that requires you to to either take a, a stance on what you think happened or just to say i will never know and that's okay it's still a story it's still saying something um about how messy uh life can get uh and that there is no kind of right or wrong to that i love that stuff so yeah like yeah. You, john i'm all in on that I'm sure if we if we ask the developers, they wouldn't say like, "Oh yes, this is what happened." You yeah, know, yeah. it's it's not like there is one answer that you could put all the puzzle pieces together no, and find. Sure. You know, the game is demanding that you yeah. interact with it in the way that we are now. Uh, yeah, and and yeah. Uh, I'll just mention it very quickly here. Uh, there's an article by Allegra Frank on Polygon again a few weeks after the game came out that is what's going on at the end of Virginia and very much the takeaway from that. And I, I think that might be where one of the developers was interviewed about what happened and exactly that. They said, look, I've got my idea of what I think happened. I absolutely accept the validity of any interpretation that I've seen you know, players make on what the story is. And it's literally just having the strength of will to say to people who justifiably want to know what the developer's interpretation is, but to say no, I'm I'm not going to be definitive definitive about this. I think that's really cool, uh, and I know a lot of people won't, but I I do. I'm a sucker for that. So, 
<coughs> as usual, that article goes into, I think it's just somebody who was posting comments on a forum somewhere, a couple of their theories. And one of them is the, the, the old trope of, it was all happening in like the last few seconds of somebody dying. It's just oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. all from her dad's perspective in the bed or something. I think I've I've read. Yeah, yeah. It's like, well, I've seen that with a million other things, and it yeah. kind of always falls apart when you start digging too deep. But or, or where yeah. does it get you to? If you think that's not that it has to get you anywhere, but yeah, it did the. It's it's one of the less least satisfying readings in in my mind, at least. All right, we have one last piece of forum correspondence. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, if you go to our forums, you will find threads on upcoming Volume 8 issues, and you can leave your thoughts there to be read out. So uh, one last one before we get to three-word reviews from Telepri, who says, Is it fair to judge one walking simulator against another when they all strive to do such differing things with the medium? Perhaps not. Am I going to in the interest of making numbered lists? Yes, absolutely. Virginia would be fairly low on that list, but as with many of its kin, it's a short enough experience that I don't mind the rough parts in it nearly as much as in a longer game. I played Virginia in early early 2018, and the details of it are fuzzy. What stands out most to me, as others have mentioned, is the score. It's one of my go-to soundtracks alongside Very Doom and Persona 5, and several others, for when I am working on illustration and design stuff. For me, the story had its moments where I connected with the characters, some standout scenes being when you and your partner celebrated something happening in the case, when you rise through the bureau promoting and firing new agents, and the scene where you give up spying on your partner and throw all those files out. I don't remember which of these scenes are definitely real, as opposed to maybe being dreams or acid trips, but they were neat regardless. Overall, I don't have any major problems with Virginia. I would have appreciated being able to slow down and read some bits, but I can respect the intent that the developers had with keeping things snappy and disorienting. I'll probably revisit it in a year or two, but until then, the soundtrack does plenty to keep me remembering the experience. Uh, thank you very much for correspondence. I think that echoes some of, of what kind of we've said. You know, the whole point is not knowing, which is cool to me, at least. Uh, lots of three-word reviews, and I think this will get across uh, even more so than our forum correspondence, perhaps. Uh, the kind of divisiveness of uh, this game. So if we can rattle through with Jacob to kick us off first, please. All right. So Graham Strachan says, vapid, pretentious nonsense. Uh, yep. Yeah. David uh, Giza, I think, says, definitely worth playing. Uh, Angry Kurt says, a quiet place. Sean McGavin, still pondering it. Jacob McCourt says, flash forward. Wow. Alabaster Mage says, silent but effective. Uh, Andrew Elmore says, groundbreaking narrative experimentation. Uh, really pushing the syllables on a three-word <laughs> review on that one. Uh, Jasper Mackinnon, slow crawl simulator. Cody Stutzman says, confusing final act. Uh, I'm glad I got this one because it, it's one that could trip people up, I think. Uh, David Rush says, peak Twin Peaks. It's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. There we go. So uh, we just have our summaries to go. I kind of took a wild shot in the dark at what order to do these in. Uh, but Carl, would you like to kick us off, please? If you've made it this far and you've not actually played the game, there's probably a 50-50 split on whether or not we've actually spoiled it for you or not. <laughs> um, it's definitely a game that's open to interpretation. Uh, it's a game that has taken 
far more risks than many of its peers. Um, it definitely tackles some difficult subjects. And it's a game that is written in a manner where there's just enough content there for you to write your own story around it. And that would normally sound quite lazy, but in this case, it's actually exceptionally well done. So being able to go into it and have a game offer up just enough material and build a world around that and for you to explore that world and fill in the gaps is quite an accomplishment, um, especially for you know such a new team that were that were that was creating this title, um, and and as John mentioned very early on, if this was the genre that you were interested in, Virginia wasn't really necessarily or isn't the only one you need to go for. There are so many other great games in that in that genre, but. Quite honestly, of the ones that I've played, and that is quite a lot of them, none of them have taken the gamble that Virginia has. And I I just think that it's something that you need to give a go. It may not click with you. My father personally hated it. I thought it was actually really quite clever. And I think the fact that we've spoken on a game longer than the game actually is and me personally could happily talk another two hours on all the other topics that are in this game, speaks volumes for the craft that that has taken place with this game. I I, I think it really is quite special. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. Uh, John, what would you like to add to Carl's thoughts? Uh, I feel like I say this at the beginning of every single one of the summaries (laughs) that I do for Kane and Rinse that, I don't know how much more I can say that hasn't already been said by myself and the entire discussion over the last couple of hours. So I'm probably going to keep this fairly brief. Um, I think it's it's obvious if you have listened through at this point that certainly uh, I would very highly recommend playing this game, especially because you can pick it up. The base price is fairly low, even in you know sales, you can get it all the time. It's it's worth the price that you pay for it if you just sit on the menu screen and listen to the music that's going on to be perfectly honest i mean the price of the soundtrack uh alone is is well worth your money uh but yeah i, I was very uh, very heavily drawn in partly i think because at the time that i first played uh virginia i had recently uh played a lot of other again air quotes walking simulators and had started to become very enamored with that style of of gameplay with you know the very heavy narrative over the top and again as a big fan of the x-files and twin peaks and david lynch and stephen king and all of these things that this game draws a lot of its inspiration from um yeah i was i was very keen on the themes and the 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 visual styling and the the way that the game uh cuts its itself through to feel more like you're watching a, a film or a, an episode of a tv show and then mixed in with the the ambiguousness which we've all mentioned was something that that stands out for us something that we all enjoy and and the soundtrack over the top of it i mean i don't think i can say too much more um beyond i would recommend almost every aspect of the game and i'm very very interested to see what uh, what the the team that made this uh, come out with next if they are indeed doing anything else afterwards uh yeah well said like like you i kind of feel like i've i've 
put my view forward pretty well across uh, this whole this whole episode, this whole issue. Um, what I would say is, I'm I'm a sucker for these games, walking simulators, not games, whatever you want to call them, whatever you know, uh, whatever banner they fall under. And I get why they're divisive. I get why vague stories and and really sort of light mechanics uh, or mechanics light games, if you like, um, are not going to be for anyone. Everyone. Uh, likewise, a, a game this short is not going to be for everyone. Um, but I, I do really like them. And what struck me about Virginia almost more than anything, uh, as much as the the story in of itself and uh what it had to say thematically was that with almost every other example of uh digital environmental theater is what i call it walking simulators or what other people call it with every other single example i can think of it, they are vehicles for delivering dialogue in often the absence of other characters beyond a first person character moving through them you know be it dear esther be it uh, even something like Tacoma, where there are representations of people, they're not there. What you can see is largely a delivery mechanism for for dialogue and great dialogue. I I love those games for that. But the challenge that this game sets forth and sets in front of the player to have characters and no dialogue is such a cool twist on that style of game that I can't not massively respect it for that so the fact that i loved the story as well and loved what it had to say about the world uh what it had to say about 1992 virginia or you know what it had to say about the fbi and institutions and all that sort of stuff we've talked about is just icing on the cake that i loved all that as as much as i did um and the music on top of that too so uh yeah this game's a massive thumbs up from me but i get why it's not for everyone um I I can't not recommend it though. Um, yeah, that's that's my piece. Um, Jacob, would you like to close us out, please? Yeah. So, uh, almost exactly a year ago, I I wrote about Virginia for for Canaan Rince's blog, and I read that in uh in kind of preparation for this show, mm. and I don't think I agree with what I wrote a year ago, <laughs> and and it's not that I've gotten smarter or 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 dumber or you know i just think it 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 speaks to how much this game can kind of be a mirror of what you're feeling at the time and how mm. how incredibly open it is but not open in a way that feels meaningless do you know i think i think yep. that the the developers of this game really really had points that they wanted to get across and they did so very effectively but they did so in a way that also lets you experience the story you know in a way that makes it personally meaningful for you and i think that that is incredibly challenging um especially especially in this kind of in this medium where we're we're so inclined to reduce things to their to their components you know we stop pe- thinking of characters as people and we think of them as as ais and and we kind of hear lines repeat and we break our immersion it is really very impressive that virginia can can kind of cast such a spell on on you while you're playing it and just and just make you think about so many different things um you know i think i think this game will 
will live in my memory for that that roadhouse scene specifically i think yeah. that will be kind of one of one of my defining gaming moments for at least the next several years um but overall i'm just i i'm just happy to have played it i think there are there are games that i want to go back to every year and and virginia's not one of those but i i think that i would be a a worse consumer of this art that i've i've devoted so much of my life to if i hadn't played it really interesting isn't it how how often games like this can fall apart under scrutiny yeah. um um when we break everything down and yet if anything this game actually feels stronger after discussing it for yeah. two hours than i think where i started and i think that is so unusual yeah yeah excellently put i i i I I can only apologize if you came here to hear Virginia get um get what what you felt was coming to it but um we have four people here who seem to uh have a lot of love for this game uh, and that's the way it shakes out sometimes that wraps up episode uh, issue 352 uh I would like to thank Carl John and Jacob for joining me um as well as our correspondents on the forum and with three word reviews um our editor Jay as well, and every single one of you for listening. Uh, if you've enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe, rate, review, or best of all, go to patreon.com forward slash cane and rinse and uh, see if you can dro- drop us a little money in exchange for some extra content. Uh, there's cane and rinse podcast every week, often extended, and exclusive monthly podcasts that you can look forward to. I believe another one of those, as of time of recording, has just dropped. Uh, for December. So look forward to that. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. Look forward to the next one. You're going to be hearing quite a lot of me over the next few weeks. I apologize for that. They're not all going to be about <laughs> games like this, I promise. Uh, next time, for example, it's issue 353, and we think we'll try Defying Gravity, and you can't pull Cat down. Will Gravity Rush 2 be as wicked as its predecessor? Thank you.